0: Welcome again, everybody who's present with us in the well, all those of you live streaming online, those who will watch at a later date, always an honor and a privilege to bring God's word. I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story to those that know it best. And I love to tell the story to those who haven't heard. It's truly an honor to do that from week to week. This week's message... Oh, and praise God for the air conditioning. Is it nice and cool in here for you this morning? Yeah. Right. I used to teach, a, Tracy and I used to teach a Sunday school class uh, to first and second graders. They used to refer to us as Mr. and Mrs. Freeze. <clears throat> I used to tell them I was the heat, the cool, and the way. Nobody comes to the thermostat except through me. So... <laughs> I want to think. So in the future, should you know that I had a message coming up, you might want to bring a sweater or something along, but uh, I've got a fan blowing over here. Praise God for cool air. Our message today is around the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. That's Matthew 25, 1 through 13. If you picked up sermon notes, we had it printed in its entirety in the front, so you can refer to it as we go. Um, I sought uh, some media... For many of you, I put a call out for uh, photographs to be sent to me, and I was met with a tremendous response, and I want to thank everyone in advance that offered up photos for me for today's message. Um, I'm a firm believer that if there's something to look at besides me, it keeps people engaged in his word. <laughs> there's going to be some images that are um, going to bring a smile to your face. Might make you laugh out loud, might bring a tear to your eye. We're going to rejoice in all of that today. I'd like to start by actually reading the passage of those 13 verses to set us up Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took, took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins <clears throat> arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out but the wise answered saying no lest there should not be enough for us and you but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves and while they went to buy the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut after the other virgins came afterward the other virgins came also saying lord lord open to us But he answered and said to them, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So this is a parable from the great Olivet Discourse. Collectively, it's the disciples asking the question, when will you return, Lord? That answer in that discourse is collectively Matthew's chapter 24 and 25. And the answer is, consistently, only my Father knows. This is Jesus' own sermon on his own second coming. Which one? There's a debate on this. So in my opinion, and that's M-Y-O-P-I-N-I-O-N, my opinion, this is the rapture. But that's not going to be our focus today. Know that this message whether you're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, whatever it happens to be, is going to work just fine, whatever your theology is. So where did this parable, where was it delivered? You can see here, a a drawing a map, if you will, of Jerusalem. You see the temple there in the center. To the right of the temple, you can see the Mount of Olives between the the Kidron Valley. This is the location. But As the bird flies, that's about... half a mile or so, so it's not a lengthy walk. There's a trail. That's the path to Bethany that way, so that kind of gives us an idea of physically where it was. Uh, What does it look like today? Now, I'm assuming a number of you have traveled and visited Jerusalem before. I know Ernie has. This is a graveyard, if you will. This is a cemetery, and this tradition is these uh, crypts and things actually above the surface, but this is taken from the Mount of Olives back toward the location of the temple in today's world. So again, I always like to emphasize these are real places. We're talking about real people and real places that you can go and visit today. This isn't just some myth in a story in a book. It's not true. This is the real deal. So what does it mean? This parable is a warning It's a warning. Not to frighten us like we can't avoid it, but to encourage us that we can avoid it in the warning. He, Jesus, wants us to be prepared. And this, like all parables, are instruction so that we would be prepared. Because there's disastrous consequences if we're not prepared. And we're going to continue to review this parable Piece by piece as we go through, but they are disastrous. So why use a wedding as a background? Because the Jewish culture, as you're about to see, uh, would have been familiar with the process. They would have been familiar with the processes and the requirements. When we read this, we have a tendency to reflect back on Western culture, our own wedding, what it seems you know, what the marriage ceremony is in our own in our own world. So. Uh, Commitments are what we vow to each other, and they're at the center of the marriage covenant. John 3.16, we're very familiar with, reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That word believes is critical, because in the English language, we have a tendency to, to water it down. I believe you. If I say, I believe you, Ernie, and Ernie disappoints me, Ernie sins, Ernie falls short, then I don't believe Ernie anymore. But that's not how it is with our Lord. When we believe our Lord, he's trustworthy, he doesn't sin, he'll never let us down. But that Greek word for believes translates, it's called pistioo, and it means to entrust, to have faith in, or commit. Commit is the key to what this is. It's not simply saying a prayer, coming forward, being baptized, it has nothing to do. It has to do with the cultivation of one's heart, the condition. So that commit, where we're gonna come back to later, don't worry, I won't leave you hanging. He wants us prepared for his return. Our God of grace and mercy gives everyone the opportunity. Everyone is given opportunity. Was the world prepared the first time that Jesus came? They should have been. The prophets had written out very clearly the signs to look for. Isaiah said there would be a forerunner, and there was. Isaiah identified the forerunner as a voice crying in the wilderness. That's exactly what John the Baptist did. Micah said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and he was. Isaiah said he would be born of a virgin, and he was. Samuel said he'd be in the line of David, and he was. Isaiah said he would come to Galilee, and he did. All prophesied him having great power, and he does. But the world still wasn't ready. So this parable is simple. It's not complex. Jesus is coming again. That's all we need to know. He is coming again. He's coming in a sudden and unexpected manner. We will not, we do not. You hear on the news seemingly every week, somebody professing, oh, I think it's going to be on October. Oh, I think it's a week from Tuesday. They don't know. Only the Father knows. Everyone should be prepared. That's the message. There will be consequences again if we're not prepared. So Jesus doesn't doesn't want to confuse anyone. He wants his warnings to be very, very understandable so that we get them. So we only need to define four things concerning this parable. There's four points. The wedding, the bridesmaids, the bridegroom, and the warning. In studying this, oh, there were people that went down rabbit trails. Well, who was the bride, and what was this and that? Has nothing to do with anything. This is simply a story told, and there's going to be points in it that we need to define what Jesus was intending The first century Jewish wedding is not our culture. We're going to go through that. We need very important for us to understand the Jewish wedding ceremony of the first century. Our Lord teaches us with parables. He takes something his audience understands and lays it up next to something that they don't understand. And one will explain the other. We will no doubt recall current culture and are certain to compare as we go we will be celebrating today. God's blessing of marriage as an example of the level of commitment that Jesus requires for our salvation. So first century Jewish wedding was the greatest event in a town or village. Everybody knew it was coming. When the the wedding and the marriage happened, the entire village or town, probably fairly small, knew everybody. It's a big production, family, friends, religious leaders, everyone's involved, everybody wants to participate. But our culture, maybe not, might be a more private event. There we go, <clears throat> I you guys fell asleep back there. Right on, so here is Mr. and Mrs. Paul and Diana Skaggs. This is just a couple of months ago. Thank you so much for sharing your wedding picture with us. They have committed, committed to one another as an example of the same type of commitment that we need to follow Jesus. The Jewish wedding had an engagement, was a contract, if you will, between the fathers. Fathers of the bride and the groom. A contract. The dads, right? It was something that our culture, dads are either not involved or certainly not required but in those days, two dads got together. It actually sounds like a pretty decent plan. Those of us that are parents, right? You <laughs> could kind of go, "Hey, I kind of like that idea." That's the way it was. Parents, fathers got together and decided that this would be a good deal, and they—that was the—that was the engagement process. Now here we have uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bob and Lisa Dunlap, 1991. Thirty years ago, they committed to each other. Thirty years ago. Thank you, Lisa, for providing that for us. They made a commitment to each other that wasn't just, I believe you. They made a commitment to spend the rest of their lives together. In the Jewish wedding, this then started what they call a betrothal. It was an official ceremony. Friends and family, vows, covenants, binding promises were made, much like we would do in our one and only marriage ceremony, but this was a betrothal ceremony and it was right after this engagement. This was the actual wedding ceremony. Our culture, actual ceremony can be big or small, might even be a couple of events. Mr. and Mrs. Lynn and Cindy Mullins, 1984. 37 years ago, they committed to each other. Now, Cindy shared with me a funny story. This, we, we all love our friend Kurt Brandon. there. He's, he's marrying them. This was actually, if, I, if the story was correct, four months after Kurt actually married this young couple in his office. And this was the, this was the party, if you will, that they scheduled for that sometime later. And uh, Cindy, thanks for sharing that with us as well. Now, any breakup during this betrothal period required an actual legal divorce under Jewish law. This couple was married, right? If one party was to have passed during this betrothal period, they were considered widowed. They weren't yet together. How long, you're asking? As long as a year, up to a year. Look at this one. So I don't think so, right? I don't think this is gonna happen. So here's Pastor and Mrs. Mark and Kathy Bodycomb, 1973, 48 years committed to each other, 48 years. Doing the math on that, that's like like 5%, they had to wait for a year, that's 5% of their entire lives they then have to wait to be together. I think that's a bookmarker that Mark's got there at Ephesians 522, but I'm not sure. <clears throat> might look that up later. So the Jewish wedding, we've got the betrothal time. The groom had to prepare a home. He had to prove that he could support his new bride. He might have had to have added a, a, a wing onto his father's home. He might have built a place of an own. Maybe he had to buy property, farm, cultivate a field. We don't know. Our culture, oftentimes, the groom had better have it together. Sometimes we have blended families. Mr. and Mrs. Omar and Marissa Larios and family, 2008. I'm looking at Omar out the back. You'd better have had it together, brother. (laughs) You were jumping right into it, right? 13 years committed to each other. The Jewish wedding then, finally the bride can live with the bridegroom. This is where we are in the parable. This is where the parable begins. Here we see uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jody and D.C. Garfield, 2002, 19 years ago, committed to each other, the example that they are to their family, to all of us, and all of you, the examples that you are. Jesus will explain so his disciples can understand. Why will they understand? Because they're familiar with the Jewish wedding. Peter, we believe, was married. He had a mother-in-law. I can't think of another reason why you'd have a mother-in-law if you weren't married. So there's that. I don't think that you get one if you're not, praise God. (laughs) I love you, mom. You're good, know that out there. So the others clearly had lived and grown up in towns and villages and were very familiar with the Jewish wedding procedure, so they understand what they're hearing. And in the Jewish wedding, again, the coming together finally of this betrothed couple after as much as a year. Here's a couple you can tell is anxious. This is Mr. and Mrs. Pat and Kathy Pagnus, 1992, 29 years committed to each other. The day they committed to each other, like the rest of us, they had no idea what their lives would be moving forward and the support and the love that they would show their family that they have for each other. So in the Jewish wedding, again, the bridegroom, the groomsman, would come to the home of the bride. They would parade from that spot. I I don't know how the word got out. The parable says a shout went out that the bridegroom was coming. I'm not sure who shouted, maybe one of the people looking for it. I think everybody kind of knows the boxes are checked and it's time and this might be the time. Let's take a look at this one. Mr. and Mrs. Daryl and Betty Herman, 1953. 68 years ago, they committed their lives to each other and what an example that union has been in Betty's family and the church family to show the level of commitment that Jesus requires. The Jewish wedding, when the word went out, all the boxes checked, tonight may be the night. Our culture, usually one ceremony, one day, over and done with. Amen. We don't want to drag on for a year. Here we have Mr. and Mrs. Cody and Desiree Stanley. 2011 seems like yesterday, but it was 10 years ago. A lot's happened in 10 years. That union has fertilized and grown a crop, right? (laughs) Amen. Amen. In the Jewish wedding, the bridegroom, his men show up at the bride's home to collect his bride and her maids. Maybe some type of ceremony inside. A final inspection from dad, I like that idea. And then this parade's going to begin. If not from the same village, it had to be somewhere nearby, walking distance. Here's a couple from the same village. Mr. and Mrs. Ernie and Sally Seidenkrantz, 1956, 65 years ago, they committed their lives to each other at the same level that Jesus requires we commit to him. 65 years. That union we heard just weeks ago at Sally's Memorial, how much it meant within their family, the church family, and everyone that they touched. Our culture, everyone's expected to just show up at the wedding venue, could be quite a distance away. Now, Mr. and Mrs. Yarrow and Carrie Chaney are traveling this week, couldn't be here, I know you're watching online. Thank you for sharing your pic. I was stunned that this picture is from 2002, 19 years ago in Maui. If they'd told me this was three years ago, I'd go, all right. They don't look like they've changed a bit. But 19 years ago, they committed to one another. Or you could be from closer to home. This is Mr. and Mrs. Travis and Emily Wormington, 2001, just a couple of months ago. They're at the beginning of their commitment. When we're at the beginning of a commitment with Jesus, sanctification follows. They're not at the same place in their commitment to one another that Ernie and Sally were in theirs. They've got a long way to go. They've got a lot of miles to travel, but they are committed to one another. And we thank you for that example. The Jewish wedding was traditionally at night so everyone could join in a celebration in the town or the village. We don't know if it was at night, but here we have Mr. and Mrs. Scott and Susan Rowland in 1973. Nice suit, Scotty. Committed to each other for 48 years, right? Their family, examples of commitment in their family, led them to know that they could commit to one another. And praise God for that. Thank you for sharing your picture. Our culture, it could be day or night. It doesn't matter time of day. The Jewish wedding, they had this parade and whatnot going on. They wanted everybody at home and able to see them parade through town. Had to be at night. Ours could be either way. Mr. and Mrs. David Katie Walker, 2005, 16 years ago. Is that possible? Are Dave and Katie here today? I don't see them. Hey, thanks for sharing your picture, and that is a huge, uh, a huge blessing. The Jewish wedding, the bride and the bridesmaids with bridegroom, groomsmen, parade through the streets. Our culture, maybe a honking parade of vehicles pulling cans and flowers. Ever been involved in one of those? Here we have Mr. and Mrs. Jordan and Shiloh Stuffelbeam. A year ago, 2020, they committed their lives to each other. Maybe a live stream on YouTube instead of the parade because there was a pandemic. Maybe a honking parade where people could drive through the church parking lot and wave. Definitely a new tradition there. The Jewish wedding, all participants in this parade have lamps or torches. Anyone without would be considered a party crasher or even a bandit or a thief. It's a great social event in the village or town. Everyone wants to see the young couple and their entourage as they go by. Here's an entourage you wouldn't wanna miss, Mr. and Mrs. Michael and Susan Glennon. 1984, 37 years ago, they commit their lives to each other as an example to their family, from examples from their family, examples to the church family. Again, their lives, like all of our lives, change dramatically as the decades begin to pile up and we get life behind us. Things we never knew were coming We survived because we were committed to one another. Finally, the parade reaches the home prepared by the bridegroom for his bride. This would have been a great parade, right? This is Mr. and Mrs. Larry and Cindy Swallows, 1977. 44 years ago, they committed their lives to one another as Christ demands us to commit to him. The same level of commitment. That would have been a great parade. The Jewish wedding, the entourage goes inside the bridegroom's home and the door closes. Let's take a look here. Mr. and Mrs. Mike and Lachelle Pettit, 1991. 30 years ago, last Tuesday. Happy anniversary, right? Good for you. That door closes. The door shuts and the party begins. How long does it last? As long as a week. Pastor and Mrs. Tyler and Kim Larson, 1989, 32 years ago. I think Tyler just told him they've got 20 minutes after the cake's cut to clear out. <laughs> He's not going to wait around for a week. There's no way. The Jewish wedding, at the end of the week, the best man, his lead friend, whatever they called him in those days, places the hand of the bride into the hand of the bridegroom, and everyone then leaves. Hopefully, right, Tyler? (laughs) Let's take a look at this one. This is Pastor and Mrs. Bill and Kim Burr in 1974. 47 years committed to each other. 47 years. I never realized that Pastor Bill was that much taller than Kim. Let's take a look at another one. No comment. Let's see what happens there. Now, a wonderful evening that the young couple has waited so long for can finally begin. Mr. and Mrs. Tim and Lynette Donahue in 1973, 48 years committed to each other. I want to welcome our brother Tim, who has been live streaming This entire time to his first Sunday worshiping with us at the well. So good to see him. We rejoice in both your recovery and the powerful testimony that you have. Now, understanding this parable concerning the bridesmaids. In the beginning of the parable, Matthew 25, 1 through 5, it reads, Then the kingdom of heaven. Shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took their vessels or oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now, nothing is intended or spiritual in the parable about the 10 young girls being referred to as virgins. This is just the culture. They were very, very young. In today's culture, bridesmaids, they're optional. They're not even required. Let's take a look at this one. Mr. and Mrs. Charles and Sally Thompson, 1954, 67 years ago, they committed to each other. Now, we talk about the bridesmaids. This is in Woodland Hills. Sally tells me that there was the pastor, herself and Charles, a young couple that stood up for them. Were they married, Sally? A young married couple stood up as best man and maid of honor. And Sally's mom, six people total. That's all who's here. Let's take a look at this. Just a quick note. uh, Sally's wearing black patent pumps with at least a three-inch heel. Charles is not standing atop any boulders. I'm just saying. There's that. The Jewish wedding, traditionally these bridesmaids were very, very young girls, very close to the bride, sisters, cousins, close friends. Now, let's get back into the DeLorean, load up the flux capacitor, and get our ride up to 88 miles an hour, and bang, we're back in 1985. That was bang, we're back in 1985, there you go. Okay, this is Tracy's first wedding. Oh, just checking, this is her only wedding, right? (laughs) Three of these bridesmaids are married and at the time of this picture had five children between them. The maid of honor is at Tracy's left. This is my sister-in-law. These eight ladies today, including the four-year-old flower girl, Miss Carmi Skinner, have collectively 21 children and 19 grandchildren, amen? It wasn't required. That's not what Jesus wants us to know. He doesn't want us to focus on the bridesmaid. It's just part of the parable. So, the word is out. The hour is near. Bridesmaids are at the home of the bride. No doubt helping her get ready. They kind of know it's coming, I guess. I, I really don't know. I would believe they would have been praying together as well they should be in our culture today. This is what they did. They got together. They supported the bride. That's the purpose of the bridesmaids. The lamps... Torches and vessels are only props in this parable. This is an illustration of what a lamp would look like. In studying the Greek word used in this text could mean either torches or lamps. Again, it's completely irrelevant. They both ran on oil, they both required oil. So here you can see the wick in the middle one looks like a rope, kind of pulls up through the middle, you'd pour the olive oil into the vessel, it would soak and wick its way up that, and then they would light that tip on fire. You did not know if that lamp was full of oil, had very little oil, or somewhere in between. You just wouldn't know. You would look prepared, but you'd only see that. Let's look at the next one. Here's the torch, same idea. You would either submerge the tip of that rag or whatever material that it was that would hold oil, and then they would light, and the flame would come off the top. And sooner or later, you'd burn all the oil up, and there would be a necessity to have more oil inside. Only used to, again, illustrate preparedness. And then the vessel, this is the vessel or a simulation of a vessel that they might have used, a clay vessel that would have held olive oil that they would have taken with them. So the five foolish bridesmaids had no vessel, just a lamp or a torch. And the five that were prepared had their lamp and torch in such a vessel as this, full of additional oil. The lamp itself, again, can be nearly half full, or empty, somewhere in between. If one has a lamp and no vessel, we would believe that the lamp was full. Matthew 25, verses two through four. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now we're getting to the point Jesus is very politely saying, half are smart, they're wise. The other half are foolish. Why is this? If you know you'll be needing a lamp that burns oil, you should bring along some oil for your lamp. That's how they prepare. That's the illustration Jesus is giving his disciples. Simple preparedness. In school, can you remember... uh, Mr. Can I borrow a piece of paper? Or Mr. Can I borrow a pencil? Right? That was me. Did I ever intend to return them? No. I was not prepared. I wasn't prepared. Probably why in the marketplace, I cleaned dirt out of people's fireplaces. Was never that guy. The preparedness. Now, how was, it, how was I encouraged to be prepared? When I went to school, we had quarterly grades. So four times a year, the grades came home to mom and dad. In between those four times, home notices came home to mom and dad. I was always very cognizant of where the line limit was of really bad behavior and where I was at. But those messages would come home to mom and dad that your son is not prepared. He's not prepared for class. He's a clown. He doesn't do his homework. He's hanging on by a thread. And despite the warnings over and over and over again, I continued with that path in school. I wasn't prepared. And as I recall from dad, there were consequences for having not been prepared. And I still didn't learn. Let's look at Matthew 25:5. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept slumbered and slept no worries bridesmaids were prepared equal to their level of commitment just like i was equal to my level of commitment i was good i could borrow a pencil i could quickly copy the homework assignment from somebody but i wasn't prepared but that's not going to work in this case because jesus is coming and there's going to be no time for that when he comes and my mother was a school teacher can you believe this sorry mom again so who is the bridegroom Jesus is the bridegroom in this parable. Jesus referred to himself a number of times in scripture as the bridegroom. Let's look at Mark chapter two, verses 19 and 20. And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. The parable is Jesus yet again describing to the disciples and the church what it will be like when he returns for those that belong to him. Luke 17:24 through 30. For as the lightning flashes out of one part of heaven and shines to the other part of heaven, so also the son of man will be in his day. My opinion, this is the rapture of his church. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected in this generation. He's going to be crucified on the cross to pay for our sin. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Business as usual. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day, specific day, that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Again, business as usual. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The rapture. We'll be marrying, given in marriage. We do not know the time, the moment. It could be right now. It could be this afternoon. It could be 10 years. We don't know. We live a committed life to Jesus all the way to, the, to when he comes. So what's Jesus saying? Remember earlier, believe transfers, translates into commitment. The bridesmaids represent everyone who professes to follow Jesus, professes to be believers, the hearts of the people professing faith in Jesus are indistinguishable to the church. They are not indistinguishable to our Lord. He knows all who are his. We don't know, he knows. Bridesmaids are indistinguishable to each other. The village, the bride, the bridegroom, etc. They all appear prepared until the bridegroom arrives. The lamp or torch's flame fueled by the oil represents preparedness and commitment. Had the bridesmaids been prepared, committed, they would have had the oil required to keep the lamp lit all the way to the marriage celebration. You can't borrow commitment or oil from true believers and be saved. It must be your own preparedness or commitment. It doesn't matter that granny came to church. It doesn't matter that you're wife came to church your husband came to church your parents came to church you visited church you're the one that needs to make the commitment to be prepared inside the door of the marriage celebration represents eternity with jesus in this parable inside this is what that committed believer prepares for outside the door of the marriage celebration represents eternity separated from god That's not what Jesus wants. He wants to give us every opportunity, every opportunity to follow him. Matthew 25, six through 10. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. There won't be time when Jesus comes to get our act together. We can't say, oh, this is it, I need to commit. You can't, you're gonna need to be prepared Trimming the wicks, this will work for a torch or the lamp. How many of you can remember kerosene lamps? I remember a kerosene lamp. It had kind of a flat wick, right? It was kind of like a tape, and you'd roll it up. The bottom would be in the oil and the kerosene in the bottom, and it would wick up, and you'd light. To trim that wick, we would we used to trim it in a triangle or to a point, and it would draw the flame up in a point in the center of the globe. Because if we left it fat and you got the wick even slightly too high, we blackened the globe. With soot. So that's why we trimmed our wick. You cut the burnt part off and brought it to a point. On a torch, I suppose you could do the same thing. The material that was wrapped around, maybe you'd cut the burnt stuff or things that started to fall apart, you'd cut off. So that's how you trim that. But now it's gonna get real. Jesus is gonna kind of pull the veil off as he finishes the parable. Matthew 25, to 13. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord. No more bridegroom, surprise, it's me, Jesus, open to us. But he, Jesus, answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. This is said repeatedly. We cannot live our lives uncommitted to Jesus in the church, outside of the church, anywhere, believing we have an ample amount of time because we just don't know. We just don't know. So what is required to be prepared today? An oil for your lamp? No, not an oil. No burning flame, only believing. Believing is defined in the Greek translation of Scripture, commitment. What does commitment look like? We've been looking at images of commitment all morning. Let's look at this one. Mr. and Mrs. Matt and Aubrey Norris and Bree, 2004. 17 years ago, they committed to each other and they brought a young lady with them into their commitment, praise God. It's different. It's not like the Jewish wedding. It's different everywhere. But the story here is their level of commitment for each other. You've been surrounded by this level of commitment and or lived this level of commitment throughout your life. Let's look at this one. Mr. and Mrs. Martin and Darianne O'Brien, 1990. 31 years ago, they committed to each other. Thank you, Martin, for sharing that picture with me. You didn't even know this was coming, did you? (laughs) You look good. Then and now, you look good. Commitment to each other in marriage is the best example of commitment to Jesus I can explain. We can all do this, amen? If you haven't done it yourselves, you've been around and witnessed those that you love and care for having made that commitment. Commitment to Jesus, again, isn't just saying the prayer and going back about your life. Just like when you got married and you committed to one another, you had to change, right? Pastor Mark couldn't be the way he was before. He had to change. Kathy wouldn't have tolerated him otherwise. It wouldn't have been good. Travis had to change. Emily had to change. There had to be a change. Let's look at this mystery young couple here. This was interesting because I was drawn to my attention that the backdrop there looks kind of like the well, the graphics of the wood and everything back there. I was also told that this marriage happened in December of 1990, so it was 1290, like 1290 grand. This was a big deal, right? <laughs> Let's find out who the mystery couple is. Pastor and Mrs. Richie and Nadine Latonga in 1990 again, 31 years ago, committed to each other. They have 5 children. They're a living example to their children, the level of commitment that it takes to one another and the level of commitment that Jesus requires. The earthlidge marriage commitments we are recalling today are our best examples, again, of what eternity with our Heavenly Father requires. It's a lot more than just making a, a statement and going back to living our lives. This young couple here, Mr. and Mrs. Dale and Linda Wilson, 1981, 40 years ago, 40 years ago, looking sharp, a great commitment. Thank you both for providing that illustration. Just a reminder of what commitment looks like. Praise God for those examples in our grandparents, parents, aunts, and uncles. Let's look at this one. Mr. and Mrs. Dennis and Sarah and Marin, 2013, eight years ago, seems like yesterday. How could it be eight years? Praise God for the examples within the church family covering some eight decades here of commitment that we celebrate today. This example here, Mr. and Mrs. Skip and Sue Brozowski, they were married on July 18th, 1970, that's today. 51 years ago today, they commit to each other. Happy anniversary, Sue. Skip's friend was a photographer, aspiring photographer, I should say, she shared this with me, and he totally choked. It got done, there weren't any pictures of the wedding. Praise God, a a wedding guest had taken some pictures, and this is one of three, only three shots of their entire wedding. But their example of preparedness, their example of commitment to each other was shared throughout their family, shared throughout the church family when we commit. And finally, I praise God for the examples of commitment in my own life from all of the above. Here we are in 1985, 36 years ago. Our commitment to each other was born on that day. Our commitment to Jesus was born on another day. Sanctification was my commitment at the time of this photograph to Jesus what it was to Tracy. No, it sadly was not. Something that had to grow. And praise God that he allows us in sanctification to grow in our relationship. So this parable was given to warn us to be prepared that we need to commit to Jesus. That's the warning. Jesus wants a personal relationship with us, even if it takes longer than we expected. So please hear me in this. Don't wait any longer, believing there's an abundance of time to prepare. Because when he does return, and he will... There won't be any second chances for the unprepared. He will proclaim, I never knew you. This is a this is the type of parable that we've read countless times in our walk. But it's only when we begin to dissect it and break it down as to what it means to us that it makes a change in our commitment and a change in our relationship. If you know Jesus, you're in sanctification. Maybe your level of commitment is one that's unprepared. Maybe all you do is periodically come to the well to hear the word. We say, I went to church, we go home, and that's it. You don't give Jesus another thought until you go, oh, my goodness, it's Sunday again, time to go back. But that commitment grows as your relationship grows. The commitment grows when you seek his wisdom in all things. That commitment grows when each day you begin reaching out to him for his guidance. That commitment grows when we bring all of our troubles to him, when we seek his wisdom and the answers that we provide. It grows and grows and grows. It grows in our marriage. And each of these wonderful illustrations, on that day, our concerns are not what they are today. Some of them varied in a very short period of time, some of them had been married for much, much, much longer. And life changes. Health issues happen. We commit to each other. feel death to us part. Something quite easy to say way back when. But when illness comes and we stand up for each other, that's a commitment. That's what Jesus wants of us. He wants that level of a commitment. He wants us to seek him for all things. If you don't know Jesus, you can do that right here. You can do that right now. He knows the condition of your heart. He knows the sincerity when you call out. He knows. We may not know. That's not our, that's not our business. It's between you and him. But if you've called out to the Lord and your heart is in the right condition, he's going to enter your life. The Holy Spirit will come to you you will have that resource 24-7-365. Only if you call out to him in sincerity. So you ask yourself, I was committed to my spouse. I was prepared. In order to be prepared, prepared to enter into the kingdom of God when he returns and be with him, is commitment. That's what we need to do. If you don't know Jesus, pray this with me, please. Father in heaven, I'm asking you, Lord, to come into my life. I'm asking you to take over control of what I've thought I've controlled. I'm surrendering to you. I want to commit my life to you. I want you to be an everyday part of my life where we have a relationship and talk constantly. Lord, I know that you carried the burden of my sins to the cross and you suffered great, great punishment on my behalf to pay that debt of sin. Lord, I want a relationship with you. I want to spend eternity with you. I don't want to be left outside that door. I don't want to call out and have you say, I never knew you. Lord, I want to know you now. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Now we're going to prepare for communion. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you just then called out to Jesus for the first time, you are welcome to take communion with us. In front of you on the floor somewhere nearby is this handy little cup. Again, we always ask you to remove the little bread first. Otherwise you stain your pants in our chairs. Jesus asked us to do this in remembrance of him. I'm gonna remind you that you can take this at any time your leisure during this closing song. But when we remember him, Let's remember the examples that he gave us in this life of what the commitment he requires looks like. Let's remember for the sacrifices that he made. Let's remember him for the presence that he provides, the peace and comfort that he provides. Let's remember him for all of those things.